Mark 6, 35 through 44. Mark 6, 35 through 44. I ask if you'll just remain standing for a moment for the reading of God's word. Once again, Mark 6, 35 through 44. And this is what the word of the Lord says. And when the day was now far spent, his disciples came unto him and said, This is a desert place, and now the time is far past. Send them away that they may go into the country round about and into the villages and buy themselves bread, for they have nothing to eat. He answered and said unto them, Give ye them to eat. And they said unto him, Shall we go and buy two hundred pennyworth of bread and give them to eat? He saith unto them, How many loaves have ye? Go and see. And when they knew, they say, Five and two fishes. And he commanded them to make all sit down by the companies upon the green grass. And they sat down in the ranks by hundreds and by fifties. And when he had taken the five loaves and the two fishes, he looked up to heaven and blessed and break the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before them. And the two fishes divided he among them all. And they all did eat and were filled. And they took up the 12 baskets full of fragments and of fishes. And they that did eat of the loaves were about 5,000 men. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the stories of your miraculous power. And I pray, God, this room be full of you. And I pray you'd bless our pastor as he preaches your word this morning. We give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Praise the Lord. You may be seated this morning. Thank you for being here this morning. We're just believing that the Lord is going to speak to you through the word of the Lord. It is so great. I heard a testimony, and I'll probably be using it sometime later on, but uh, it was about my pastor, and it just thrilled me this week. He's been deceased for some long, some long, long time, and I heard something that just encouraged me. Have you ever just got a word that encouraged you in the Lord? And I tell you, just brought back some fond memories, and it just encouraged me in the spirit. But my goal here this morning is not to preach to you a deep theological message, but I want to stir us up in the way of remembrance. I want you to never forget that God will never forsake you and that our God is a God of provision. I want you to understand that. Let's first of all look in our text in verse 35 and let us uncover some underlining facts about the event of the day that was taking place in our, in our text. In verse 35 it says, and when the day was now for spin his disciples came unto him and said this is a desert place and now the time is forepassed I want you to begin to get that scripture in your heart we're going to be coming back to it in just a few moments but I just really want you to look at it and examine it just for a moment and really begin to think about what this scripture is really telling us actually there, I, I was dissecting every little word of this passage this week and I could actually preach another series on it I mean there's so much I don't even know where I'm going to go with this because there's so much to bring out and I am believing God for me to bring out what you need to hear today but we're going to try to get into this and we're going to try to uncover as much of it as we can in one service Jesus disciples had just experienced one of the most difficult days of their life ministering and they heard how that Herod had killed John the Baptist by beheading him and it says and when they heard about it they took his body and they laid and his corpse and they laid it within a tomb now this was a sad day for them and when they had gathered themselves together with Jesus later on that evening they told him of all of the things that they had taught they had told him of all of the things they preached the things they said and then they told Jesus of all of the things that they had done the things that happened during their services and during their evangelistic efforts and then they told him about the death of John the Baptist being beheaded and how they took his corpse and how that they had laid his body within a tomb and the next thing that you see is such love and compassion from the heart of Jesus Christ. He responds to them in the book of Mark chapter 6 verse 31. He says, come you yourselves apart into a desert place and rest a while. In other words, he was saying, man, you've had a hard day. You've had a full day. You've had a, you've had a difficult time. And he said, I just want you to come apart with me and I want you to rest. And if there's one invitation that we never, never need to turn down is when Jesus asks you to come alongside with him and get out of your comfort 
comfort zone and go to a place of rest with him. Every single one of us needs those times of intimacy with the presence of God. And when Jesus invites you into that time of intimacy, when he spurs it, you know, sometimes it's at the most unusual times and sometimes it's at the most tiring times. That's how these disciples were. Have you ever had the Lord wake you up at 3 o'clock in the morning and say, hey, I want to spend a little time with you tonight, this morning? Them are some hard times, but those times you do not want to miss. It's those times that you want to respond, regardless of how fatigued you are, regardless of how tired you are, regardless of what kind of distractions is going on. So much of the time, my wife, she is kind of the strength in one area of my life where she says, hey, 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 slow down, stop, listen to the Lord. You're too busy. You're too distracted. Take your time. And so much time I see this and I see that and I see this and I see this, and I'm a go-getter. I got to I got to respond to it. I got to, as a pastor to do it. I don't want people to feel like that I'm not there. And Jenny sometimes just says, hey, boy, you're not the savior of the world. Slow down and listen to the voice of God. And every single one of us need this. And Jesus gives these guys that opportunity. I'm sure that they were words of comfort to the disciples, especially seeing the events that unfolded throughout that day and, and, the, and the concerns of their safety because of John being beheaded. They were probably not only afraid for their lives, but the Bible also says something very unusual. It says, for there were many coming and going during their teaching and during their preaching, and they had no leisure, not even as much time to even eat. In other words, they were so busy ministering to the people that they didn't even have any time to have a snack or a lunch. Or they didn't even have time to take a break. Said people were coming and going. They were being pulled at at every angle, and they were just sitting there. And that whole day long as they ministered, they didn't even get a chance to eat, the Bible tells us. And that they get into a ship privately, just the disciples and Jesus. They're going to go to this isolated place with Jesus alone. They're going to have this rest time, this intimate time. What a privilege. And they and as they depart, the scripture tells us in verse 33, and the people saw them departing, and many knew him, and ran a foot thither out of all the cities, and they went out and came together unto him. Now when you look at this passage of scripture, you begin to understand that Jesus, here he is, trying to pull his disciples out for a little R&R, for some leisure time, but the multitude saw him departing and they followed him. They wouldn't even, it's like me saying, I'm going to go down to the beach for a week and I wake up the next morning and everybody's out on the beach waiting for me to preach to them. Amen? And this is what was happening to Jesus and his disciples. Here they go and all of a sudden they get over to their place and here's all this multitude that was with those disciples. They're, they're following them and they're going out there wanting more because they're hungry. On their arrival, it says in verse 35 that I read to you, and when the day was now for spin, his disciples came unto him and said, this is a desert place and now the time is forepassed. They had been out there. It doesn't tell us how many hours, but one scripture tells us it was late, late evening, almost turning dark. The sun was going down. The disciples come out and say, hey man, it's getting late around here. Time is forespent. And notice that the Bible says that they were in a desert place. Why in the world would Jesus take his disciples out into a desert place for R&R and for a moment of leisure, especially when they did not even have time to eat? Hey, if you're going to take me out for leisure time, take me to Outback. Amen? Especially if I've been ministering and ain't had anything to eat, don't take me out to a desert where there's absolutely nothing. They're out in a dry, parched land, and here they are out there in this desert. He knew that they were hungry. He knew that they were tired. He knew that they were fatigued. He knew that they hadn't ate anything. As a matter of fact, we overlook what Jesus even tells them in Mark 6 and 31. He says, come ye yourselves apart into a desert place and rest a while. Notice that he said, I'm taking you out to a desert place. If they really paid attention to what he said, I wonder how many would have actually followed. Because he told them, I'm fixing to take you out to a desert place. They were not there by accident or by coincidence or by a lack of oversight, but Jesus led them into this place intentionally. Have you ever been in what we call a desert place? As a matter of fact, the word desert means to be dry, to be barren. It's a wasteful and unproductive place. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever felt dry or you ever felt barren that, that you dwelt in a wasteful place spiritually and that you really... 
didn't have anything to offer. You were spent. You were just dry. You had no rhema word. You seem like that just, you're just existing, that you're just hanging on, that you're just walking by faith. How many's ever felt that way before? Raise your hand. If you don't raise your hand, you're a liar and the truth is not in you. Amen. Have you ever felt abandoned and alone and secluded and as if you've been called or misplaced or outcasted or set on a shelf? Have you ever felt like just God come by and just one day put you on a shelf and said, just stay there while everybody else seems to be having the party of their life? You're shelved, you're called, you're set apart. Have you ever been in that place spiritually where the songs have lost their meaning and, and the preaching has lost its power and the services has lost the spirit and you stand untouched, unmoved and unblessed while everybody around you is being blessed and everybody else is shouting the victory and you're standing there wondering what in the world's wrong with me? Have you ever been in that place where the word no longer seems to speak to you and your prayers seem to just bounce off the wall and come right back down at you? Have you ever been parched? Have you ever been dry? Have you ever been barren? I know that I have. There's been many, many times in my life, even as a pastor, even as a preacher, that I have felt this kind of, uh, uh, of experience. And this is what we call in the spirit realm a desert place. That you and I many times have found ourselves in dry, barren places or what seems to be dry, barren places. Sometimes the things that seem to appear is not always the way that they are. And sometimes we don't see the opportunity that is before us because of the circumstances that we are thrown into. When these moments occur, these dry places, we're in a desert, spiritually speaking. And let me remind you, just because you're in a desert place does not mean that you're out of the will of God, nor does it mean that you have sinned that has caused this thing to come upon you. It was Jesus that led them there. They were there by divine appointment. They were there by the Spirit's leading. They were in the direct will of God being in that desert. Can I have an amen? And so much of the time we beat ourselves up, we throw condemnation upon ourselves because we don't feel the presence of God and we don't want, we wonder where he's at. We feel less than and therefore we live by our feelings instead of by faith. And because we feel less than, then we begin to question our, all, our whole experience. We question our ministry. We wonder why doors of opportunity ain't happening and we wonder why this ain't going on and why Mike seems to be blessed but Kent seems to be shelved and why Joe seems to be touched and Kent's seems to be shelved and we sat and we examined our lives by what was going on in everybody else's life around us and then we judge our own lives by the way that we feel. Come on somebody. I'm preaching to somebody here today. But they were in the direct will of God being in that desert. You remember Job's friends? Yeah, the comforters, Job's friends. All about, they come to him to talk about his trial and talking about his afflictions. Instead of coming and getting out the anointing oil and praying the prayer of faith, you know what they say? Job, what have you done? What kind of sin have you done to cause this thing to come upon you? And so much of the time when we find ourselves in those places of dryness, we begin to question our whole experience and we wonder, what have we done to deserve this? It wasn't what Job done, it was what God was allowing and entrusting Job to in order to bring about a better Job in his life to restore him fourfold. Can I have an amen? Give the Lord praise for that. God had a plan for Job. But you know, great men have made these same kinds of uh, mistakes because we see the same thing happening to a blind man that was accused or was by Jesus' own disciples. In the book of John chapter 9, verse 1 through 3, it says, And Jesus passed by and he saw a man which was blind which was born blind from his birth. And his disciples asked him, saying, Master, who did sin? Did this man sin or did his parents sin that caused him to be born blind? And Jesus answered, Neither has this man sinned and neither has his parents sinned, but this man was born blind that the works of God should be manifested in his life. Now, first of all, I want you to know, you have, you, have you ever considered that you are going through the desert place so that the works of God and the glory of God can be manifested through you? That's why this man was born blind. Can God trust you with a trial so that he can get glory out of delivering you from that trial? And those of you that are in a desert right now, you're in a good place. If you're in a desert, spiritually speaking, because the steps of a good man are ordained of God, they're led of the Lord. And if God's got you in a desert place, that's exactly where you need to be. Don't try to be anywhere else. Amen? 
God is doing a work in our church. And right now, I want to tell you, I have never prayed so much over our people with all of the havoc and the turmoil that's going on in our people's lives. And man, it just seems like nothing. It, one bombardment, one right after another, after another, after another, and after another. And finally, I resigned to the fact, hey, we're in a desert place. It's almost like our congregation has went out in the desert and sat down with Jesus. Woo, hallelujah, somebody shout in advance. Amen. Now, it ain't easy to shout when you're in that kind of an atmosphere. Have you ever considered, though, that God's got us in the place that we're at so that his works and his glory might be manifested among us? Amen. You see, I'm excited every time I get in the desert place that I am right now. I told you I was very open to you a few weeks ago how I felt. I feel like I'm impregnated with promise, spiritually speaking. I got a baby that's not moving, and I'm in the labor pains, and thanks, man, it's rough. And you know, and when I say I'm excited about it, I have to choose to be excited. It's not a feeling. Excitement does not always have to be a feeling. You know what I do every day? I, I speak to myself. I encourage myself in the Lord like David did. I preach myself sermons. I remind me of past victories. I remind myself of past testimonies. You know, David said, man, I remember, you know, when he faced Saul, I remember a bear coming up to me and I grabbed that old bear and I killed the bear. I remember the lion coming up. To me. He started going back and reflecting back over his past testimonies. I got a lot of past testimonies. I don't want to live on them forever, but I speak to myself. David encouraged himself in the Lord, amen? And then there's times I think on the things that are pure, I think on the things that are honest, I think of the things that's good report, I think of the things that are virtue, I, I think on every, I just I constantly every day, I get all these negatives, all these feelings, all these emotions that, I, that I'm going through, through the pain that I am facing in my desert. Yes, I'm hungry. Yes, I want to see more. Yes, I want more. Yes, I want to see things happen. I want to see movement. I want to see the power of God. But while I'm there, I am declaring and decreeing that the things that I'm feeling are false and that I am a victor and that I'm going to receive the manifold grace of God in my desert. I'm there for a reason. God's got me there for a reason. Can I have an amen? One of the things that I also do, I speak to myself with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, making melody unto the heart, unto the Lord. And let me tell you something, folks, that's hard to do when you don't feel it. But that is a discipline that you have to do in order to keep the victory in the midst of your desert. And let me tell you, I know that it's needful for me to be where I'm at. I know it's needful to, uh, for us to be where we're at as a church or we wouldn't be there. Because Romans 8 and 28 says, and we know that all things, say all things, work together for the good of them that love the Lord and to them who are thee called according to his purpose. Do we believe that? God don't make mistakes with us. Come on, somebody. God hasn't forsaken us. God hasn't cast us off. We may feel like we're shelved, but we're not shelved. We're still a part of the family of God. The birth certificate's still there. Our names are still written in the Lamb's book of life. It ain't went nowhere. We still belong to God, and God still belongs to us. Hallelujah. I'm not an orphan that has been rejected. I am, I am been grafted in. I am a child of the living king. I'm an heir of God. I'm a joint heir of Jesus Christ. I want you to know I'm a child of the Lord. Nothing has changed just because I'm in a desert. Amen. Come on, somebody help me preach. We're like the Andrew Jackson, the great general. The war of uh, 1812, I was studying it some time ago. I don't remember the whole story, but the war was over. Andrew Jackson had not received word, and they went into a big battle with the British. I believe it was in, some of you historians can correct me, but I believe this battle was in New Orleans, if I remember correctly. And man, he became a world-renowned general over that battle because of the strategic plan. And he beat them up, but the problem of that war should have never been fought because the war was over. It had been over for some time. I then began to look at that and I said, you know what Jesus Christ said on the cross, it's finished that he has the keys of death, hell, and the grave, that the war is over, amen? I've heard that with the hearing in my ear. So you know what I declare this morning, regardless of how I feel, regardless of how my emotions are, regardless of what kind of circumstances I feel like I'm against, doesn't matter how barren, how parched, how hungry, how thirsty, how, how, how I feel. It doesn't feel, don't matter. I feel like I have lack. It doesn't feel like that I, I have, have my game together. It doesn't feel like that I'm in center stage. I want to tell you, I am a winner. I want you to know I am more than a conqueror. I want you to know I am a redeemed person. Can I have an amen? 
Doesn't matter how I feel. Doesn't matter I'm in a desert place. I'm just as much saved in the desert as I am here on this platform. I'm just as much a man of God in my circumstance as if I'm in a revival preaching the Holy Ghost now. I'm a child of God. I am a winner. The war is over. Jesus has conquered. Amen. You know, God's not a God of torment, but in everything that I do and everything that I go through, it is God working in me a far greater amount of glory than what I can even imagine or what I can even think. No matter what I'm going through. It's in the dry times that we can really see God for who he really is. You know, we may not like it, we may not enjoy it, we may not understand it, but it takes discipline to decide to praise God and declare yourself a winner before your emotions keep up to where you feel like you're a winner. Amen? It's hard to say I'm a winner when you don't feel like you're a winner. It's hard to say you're a victor when you don't feel like you're winning. Come on. But yet on the other side of the coin, I'm a winner. Are you a winner here today? If you are, say I'm a winner. Say it. Speak it loud. Speak it in the face of the devil. Now praise him because you're a winner. You're a winner. You know what? That's a poor praise for somebody that's winning. Hey, now we're talking sis. Come on, you're winning. I've never seen a winning team do this. Oh, we're so thankful. And that's how sometimes we put on our fronts when we're going through the circumstances. But if you really know you're a winner, it ain't about feeling, it's about objective truth. I'm a winner. <laughs> I'm a winner. You're a winner. You're an overcomer. You're not a loser. Come on, somebody stand to your feet. Give God praise like you're a winner. Yes. You're a winner. We win. We win. We're winning. We're not losing. <laughs> God's doing more exceedingly abundantly above anything we've been able to ask or think. God lets us go through dry times to get us hungry. You know that? We say that all the time. And sometimes we think we're really hungry. Have you ever heard people say, man, I'm so hungry I could eat a horse? Well, go to China. You'll get your opportunity. <laughs> Amen. Me and Randy found out you have to be awful hungry to eat a donkey. Isn't that right, Randy? Amen. We never succumbed. Well, I guess we did try the donkey. We never tried the cat or the dog, though. Amen. You got to be really hungry sometime to digest the food that you don't like. Now, hang on. I'm going to get somewhere with that. You know, sometimes we think we're really hungry. The Bible says that the disciples went in the desert hungry for they had not eaten all day due to the busyness of their schedule. They get there and now they have spent another 10 to 12 hours where they're at. And verse 35 reveals that they had been there quite some time. The time was forespent. Evening time had come. They come to Jesus and they say, now look, we've been here a long time, Master. And then they want to blame what's going on on the multitude. Haven't you ever wanted something and then want to try to say, you know, I have tried to manipulate Jenny like that. Like, I'll call one of the boys and say, man, I'm starving. Where do you want to go eat? And then I'll call Jenny and say, Ben wants to go. <laughs> Laugh on you suckers. Some of you are doing the same kind of thing. Amen? Because I know that she'll do a lot more for her kids because she does not like to eat out a lot. And I like to eat out a lot. And so the way that I can pressure her is say, uh, Remy wants to go to, or Jedediah asked to go to, oh, she's all on board when them little kids want to go somewhere. So Dad, Grandpa's smart. When I get hungry, I call Jedediah or one of them kids say, y'all about ready to go out to eat? And this is what the disciples are doing. They're starving. Hey, your multitude's hungry. <laughs> Why 
can't we be honest and tell the Lord for ourselves instead of always trying to, why can't we be open before the Lord? But they're saying, hey, the multitude is hungry, trying to manipulate him. Should we send him away to buy bread? The desert place creates hunger pains. And sometimes we may desire, sometimes we may want, sometimes we may really be hungry, but we're not hungry enough. Come on. Great things can be happening in a revival and we can be hungry, but we might not be hungry enough to go to the full potential of what God wants it to be. And he has to create a desert experience to up the level of hunger in your life in order for you to obtain the greatest that he's got designed for you. Hang with me. We don't have the ability to create the hunger. We try to. We try to create the ability to create hunger that is needed so God and we can't do it, so God has to put us into an atmosphere that creates hunger. Some of you are right now in what I call a created atmosphere that is designed to bring hunger up in your life. You're looking at it as something in a negative sense, and God's saying, oh, they look at it negative right now, but when I get done, they're gonna be positioned, and they're gonna be right for what I'm gonna give them. Look at somebody and praise the Lord in advance for what he's about to impart into your life. Amen. He launches and he leads us into the desert places. God does this for our own good, not to destroy us, not to pick on us, not to mistreat us, not to harm us, not to be mean to us. That ain't the cop of God we serve. Without hunger, we cannot receive the things that God has for us. We have to put, we, we, let me just put it this way. We have to have an appetite for the things of God and those things don't always come easy because there is a dying out that takes place because the things that God's got for us go so contrary to the things of the natural man. And in order to receive them, there's got to be a dying out because we don't really want certain things that God's got designed because we don't see the full potential of its benefit. We like the ice cream, but we hate the spinach. You put a gallon of ice cream in front of me and put a pile of spinach in front of me and say, pick. Put five pounds of spinach in front of me and put me a small portion of ice cream and tell me to pick. Come on, somebody. I'm going to pick the ice cream. Those of you that pick the spinach, you're more spiritual than I am. Amen? But God has to create a hunger for the things of God and not for the things that we like. You understand what I'm saying? We like the ice cream, but we don't like the spinach. And God has to get us into an atmosphere to create the hunger for the things that he's got for us and not the things that we've always picked and chosen and desired for ourselves. And I'm not even talking about that saying that we're picking carnal things. We, it can be spiritual things. There are spiritual things that I know, principles that I hang on to, things I like about church services, things I like about worship, things that I like about just the creativity of God that I have learned throughout the years. And God's saying, that is all good and well and done. But in order for you to see me in ways you've never seen for me, I got to get you to hungry to accept things outside of the norm in order for you to be able to be benefited for the greatest thing that I've got for you. And God right now has put this church through the test. We're in some horrible, dry places. Folks, get ready. There's fixing to be a platter of spiritual spinach that's gonna bring some pie pies up to the point of victory like we've never seen before in our lives. Oh, somebody shout with me in this service. Oh, my goodness. Blessed are those that do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. You know, the, we always talk about the darker the valley, the more the light you see. And we always talk about the, you, you know, the, the bigger the valley, the bigger the victory and things of that nature. But a lot of times when we preach those things, we're not feeling it. Because we don't feel it, we don't really believe them to be true. I believe that the church would see more of the power of God and the glory of God if we quit questioning and if we quit complaining and if we quit murmuring and begin to realize that the war is won, Jesus is the lily of the valley, he's still the root out of the dry ground, the children of Israel would have seen more of the glory of God if they would have not murmured and complained in their desert experience after being delivered from Egypt. Can I tell you, every one of us is saved. How many saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ? Raise your hand. 
I don't want to put nothing negative on you, but it's a positive statement. If you're saved by grace, every single one of you is going to experience what you call wilderness and desert places. They're inedible. The desert places will either make you or break you, and sometimes both. Amen? And because of Israel's attitude and disbelief, you know what happened? They died in their wilderness and their carcasses fell. However, as a pastor, the Lord told me to do this today. I declare life and not death over this place and over everyone who's going through their desert experience. I tell you, you shall live palace of praise and not die. You shall win and not lose. You shall go forward and not backward. You shall go up and not down. You shall receive and not be rejected. I speak abundant life over everybody in the palace of praise. For God has got you in the desert for his divine purpose. Get ready for the blessing of the Lord. You know what? I, de- I declare desert blessing. And I encourage you. Man I, man, I got so much good stuff here and I'm feeling like I'm being checked and I don't want to over preach. Oh, but I got some good stuff. I declare desert blessing. I encourage you to open your spiritual eyes. I want you to see the hidden beauty that God has got stored up for you in your desert. There's inner beauty like you have never seen in a desert place. If Moses and the children of Israel had never come up to the Red Sea and went through the wilderness place, they'd never seen that Red Sea split. Amen? If Daniel would have never been thrown in the lion's den, he would have never met the true line, the line of the tribe of Judah. Amen. If Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had never went through the fire, they would have never seen the fourth man in the fire who looked like unto the Son of God. Can I tell you here, it doesn't matter how hot the heat gets in the desert. It doesn't matter how thirsty or hungry you get. It don't matter how like you feel like you're being torn apart. I want you to understand you're there by divine appointment. If you're a child of God, you've not done anything wrong. You've not sinned to get you in that place. God has not rejected you. And I want you to understand that the fourth man is in the fire. The line of the tribe of Judah is in the lion's den. I want you to understand in the wilderness, he's a cloud by day and a fire by night. He's never left you. He'll never forsake you. He's always there and he's right here in the palace of praise working his good work among his people today in this 21st century. Amen. God's in your desert. Well, Matthew 28, 20, we quote it all the time. I am with you always, even to the end of the world. What do you say in Hebrews 13 and 5? I will never leave you nor will I forsake you. What do you say in Proverbs? I'm a, I'm a friend that sticks closer than a brother. Do you believe it at all times? Yeah. You know, just because dry times comes where you don't feel God or sense God and discern his presence doesn't mean that he's left you or he's shelved you or he's not doing something with you. You're being more productive than what you ever even think. In Acts chapter 8, and I don't know how far I'm going to get into this, and I don't even know if I, see, I'm going to go through this other story, and then we're going to come back to the original text. So I doubt if I do that. But in Acts chapter 8, verse 26 to 40, we see a story that sometimes don't even make sense. I have tried sometimes in the natural mind to think, what in the world is God doing? And over the years, God began to piece this sermon together, and I begin to see, oh my, God's so much greater and smarter than we are. But look what it says in verse 26 of that Acts chapter 8. The angel of the Lord speaks unto Philip, saying, Arise, go down toward the south unto the way that goeth down from Jerusalem to Gaza, or Gaza, which is a desert. He tells him it's a desert place. Now, there's something very unusual here. Now, there's nothing unusual about God leading his people. God's always led his people. He will always lead his people. But sometimes us, the ministering of angels might be unusual, but it's probably more common and usual than what we really think or know. And I believe that there's more angelic visitation and angels ministering us on our behalf than what you and I even realize right this minute. And I believe also that there's going to be more angelic visitations at the end time, more than we and I have ever even seen or encountered. And when people come up to you, why is it? And they say, I've seen an angel. You just automatically, oh yeah, right. 
get away from me, you fanatic. An angel of the Lord comes to Philip and says, hey, go down to Gaza in place of a desert. And he's in Samaria. And what's so odd, he's, God te- he's telling Philip to go down to this place the way that goeth down from Jerusalem, the place of blessing to the desert, which is the place of barrenness. God's saying, leave the place of that region of Jerusalem, the place of blessing. Go down to the place of Gaza, the desert, the barren place. How many of you would rather stay in the fruitful place than the barren place? Come on. How many of you would rather hang around the bakeries of Jerusalem than dwell in the desert out there in the middle of nowhere? Can I have an amen? We have to realize that Philip is in the city of Samaria in one of the greatest revivals that's ever been recorded in the, on, in the, in the scripture. In Acts chapter 8, verse 5 through 8, it says, Then Philip went down to the city of Samaria, and he preached Christ unto them. And the people with one accord gave heed to the things which Philip spake, hearing and seeing the things in which he done. For unclean spirits, crying with loud voices, came out of many that were possessed with them, and many taken with palsies, and them that were lame were healed. And there was great joy in that city. Now think about this. This was the same place that Simon the sorcerer was touched by God, and the whole city was delivered from sorcery and witchcraft. Can you imagine being in that kind of revival, being the preacher, being the leader of it, and all of a sudden this angel comes to you and he says, hey, God tells me to tell you to leave this place and go to a desert. You know what I would have said? That must be a fallen angel. I would have been saying, do what? I would have been questioning myself. Would you not question yourself? How many would find it be hard to be obedient in that situation? Oh, I'm the only, am I the only one that struggles around here being obedient to God sometimes? Now here he is, folks. I mean, he's casting out demons. He's healing the sick. People are being saved by the hundreds. I mean, the city's turned upside down, inside out. Much joy was in the city, and all of a sudden, an angel comes in disruption and says, hey, preacher, God wants you to leave this revival. He wants you to go down to Gaza, which is a desert. Do what? Come on, somebody. You'd be checking the Lord, too. I would try the Spirit over and over and over, and then I'd say, okay, God, then you're going to have to give me a sign. I'm going to put a fleece, and if he met that fleece, I'd say, okay, God, that ain't good enough. You're going to have to write it on the wall, and if he wrote it on the wall, I'd say, well, you know, man, maybe I might go at that point of time. We all like to live and dwell in the atmosphere of Samaria revival, but sometimes it is necessary for us to go by the way of a desert. Sometimes we don't understand it, or let me say most of the time or all the time we don't understand it. Why would God call you to leave a place like Samaria when things were happening? I'm going to get away from my notes because I, I, I'm not going to finish not even a fourth more because I feel like the Holy Spirit's stopping me. He's about to do something, encourage somebody. Let me tell you the scenario of the big, there's a lot of different points in this passage of Scripture. A lot of things that happen. Folks, there's too many of us that are that are what we would call addicted to the Samaria experiences. And we fall apart in our desert experiences. God cannot entrust you with the Samaria revival until he can trust you with the proper attitude in the midst of your desert. I see people go through the desert and they moan and they grope and they gripe and they complain. They look like they lost their best friend because they're not on center stage in the limelight and demons ain't being cast out and miracles ain't happening and people ain't shouting and people ain't jumping. People ain't dancing. Here's Philip saying, I got to leave all this to go down to a desert. Can I tell you that if you don't obey God in your desert, you're missing some of the greatest opportunity of your life and some of the greatest opportunity for your ministry. It may be a dry time. You may not feel him. You may not know that he's there, but he's working something even greater in you and even greater in that circumstance than what he was working even in the city of Samaria. Come on, somebody. 
We're always looking for the event. We're always looking for the explosion. We're always looking for something big. And I want to tell and prophesy over this congregation that the glory of God that's coming to the church is not coming by a big explosion. It's not coming by a big event. It's not coming by the limelight. It's not coming and packaged the way that we know it. It's going to be packaged in the form of a desert experience. And out of that desert experience, God's going to show forth his glory in you because you may be born blind, but you're going to come to see and the blindness is going to be turned to revelation. These disciples, the time is forced me and I'll come back to that. Let's go back to Philip just a minute. He gets in the desert. God says, here he is. All right. Man, just a day ago, I was laying on hands on people. They're falling out. Laying hands on people. They're being healed. Demons are being cast out. There ain't nothing going on around here. There ain't a bird. There ain't a tree. Come on. Look at this place. It's barren. Nothing but sand. Nothing but desert. Nothing but heat. Nothing but hot. Nothing but parched ground. And this is where God's led me. Why, God? Philip ain't questioning. He's not arguing. But he's just there. And all of a sudden, in the distance, he sees a chariot going across the desert. And the Lord speaks to him. Now, let me stop right here and remind you. You may be in a dry place, but God can still speak to you. You remember Elijah? He went a day's journey from Bathsheba, which was a desert place. And he was looking for God. Earthquake came, a wind came, a fire came, the big explosions came, but he couldn't be finding those big explosions. And it was in the desert that he learned how to become sensitive to the hearing of God's voice. God takes you out of all of the noise of revival to place you into the inner desert to get you a sensitive ear to hear the still small voice of God. Just like he did Elijah. He couldn't hear correctly in all of the pressure of revival and the expectation that people's putting on you and all of a sudden you're in this flow of everything that's going around and revival can be a curse if you're not careful because it can distract you from the importance of what God's wanting to do in your life and when God took Philip out guess what he put Peter and John back into the revival to lay hands on the people that they might receive the Holy Ghost the revival was not destroyed it was enhanced by Philip's leaving in obedience. Philip leaves, sees the chariot, and God says, draw near to the chariot. He starts walking towards the chariot. The chariot keeps coming, and all of a sudden it stops. It is no ordinary chariot. There's a man, it does not name his name, he's a eunuch, which means he's unproductive. He's not having the ability to have children. He's a, don't have the ability to be fruitful. It's representative of a sinner. But he's not driving just any ordinary chariot. He's driving the chariot of the queen of Ethiopia and he's sent as a man with great authority being over her business and over all of her treasure. He's a mighty man, an important man. You never know what kind of relationships will be formed in your desert in order to be your future resource for your victory in your future. Oh, did you hear that? You know that crowd that followed Jesus? They were annoyance to the disciples. Oh, no. We tried to get away from these guys. Sorry, but they were the one that provided the food in the middle of your desert. They may have some annoyance behind them, but bub, they're the one feeding you. It's like the pastor one time that said, man, I'd be a good pastor if I didn't have all these people. Not knowing it's the people that's providing his paycheck. Some of you are saying, I don't know why I got that old ornery annoyance boss that's always gripping and coming down my throat. Folks, you may gripe about that annoyance boss, but he's the one giving you the paycheck to survive. Come on now. God sometimes puts you in the heat of place for your own provision. But nevertheless, he gets there. He gets upon the 
the chariot and he sees that this eunuch is reading the book of Isaiah, chapter 53. And he asked him, do you understand what you read? He said, how can I? Unless I have a translator. And Philip begins to translate the scripture to him. And the eunuch comes, they come to a water hole out in the middle of the desert. He says, what well, does hinder me to be baptized? He says, if you'll believe with all of your heart. He says, I believe that Jesus Christ is the son of God. And so Philip baptized him when that man gave his heart and life to Christ right there that day in that desert. Don't tell me that God don't leave the 99, the revivals, the highlights, the explosions to come and reach one soul because he does. Sometimes your desert only ain't about you. It's about who's in that desert and they need to be snared from it. And the only way to get them out of the desert if some men of God have enough courage to go in the desert after them. Sometimes you have to position yourself where sinners are at so that you can win the sinner for the glory of God. Come on, somebody. It ain't always walking around great glory. Everybody's come to the church. They're in the desert. No one's going to the desert. And but what was John the Baptist? He was one crying in the wilderness, crying in the desert. Repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. Sacrificed his whole life in the desert. That was his whole ministry place. He didn't go in the cities and preach. He was out in the desert crying. Those that were out there in the rough wilderness, rough people, he was reaching them for the glory of Jesus Christ. Amen. He reaches this Ethiopian for the Lord. Now here's what history tells us. That so much of the time we think really that God would jeopardize the revival of hundreds to reach one. Yes, you know why? Because that one man took revival back to Ethiopia and they say through that man's witness to the queen of Ethiopia that even she got saved and the whole nation become a Christian nation under that one man getting saved. Why, it looked like that Philip was doing great things by winning a city in Samaria. It wasn't nothing like what he'd done in the desert because by being the influence in the desert, a whole nation became under the influence of Jesus Christ. Oh my, is that not good preaching? So you got to understand, it ain't always about you. God puts you in dry places, not because it's always about you, but it's God putting you there so that you might minister to the people that are there. Sometimes you wake up in a hospital and say, why in the world am I in this hospital for? Why did God allow me to get sick? Only to find out that you were there for the person in the bed next to you. I remember my pastor saying one time he got sick, got in the hospital, He's laying there saying, now, God, I don't have time for this. He's just telling the Lord how he felt, and the Lord said, Wilkie, be quiet. I got you here for a reason. All of a sudden, they brought this man in. He's moaning and groaning over there. And Brother White tries to get a conversation. It's just hard. They're in there for about a week, and all of a sudden, one day, it broke loose finally. Brother White went over there under the anointing of the Holy Ghost and began to preach to him, and that man got saved become born again and when he got saved brother white got healed and he said this is the reason I had you here can God entrust you with a little suffering so that you can do a greater work for him while you got your eye on the Samaria revival God's got his eye for you for the desert while you got your eye for the glory to come and a big explosion God's saying it's coming through the small packages. Isn't it odd that there's a water hole out in the middle of that desert? Now, I, I, that don't make sense, does it? In every desert, there is a hidden oasis. And if you'll be obedient to the word of God, God will bring you to those times of refreshing, even in your desert. Because there's water holes, there's springs of living. Wherever Jesus is at, there's springs of living water. He's the root out of the dry ground. He's that lily of the valley. And when you're sitting there and you don't think there's anything around, there are moments that God will refresh you in your desert. If you go back to the story of the disciples, the Bible tells us, you want us to go and you want us to buy 200 pennies worth of bread? I mean, we're hungry. We're, we're, we're starving here. And Jesus said, no, I don't want you to go anywhere else looking for resources. I'm your resource. Why, why are you looking somewhere else? Isn't it odd in the middle of our desert we're always looking somewhere else but to Jesus? But when we're in the revival, boy, our focus is upon Jesus, isn't it? God wants you to understand that he's always your resource. 
in good times and in bad times, on mountaintops and in valleys. Come on. And all of a sudden, he says, what do you have? Did you know everything we need is right here in our grasp? That the key to the awakening that we're looking for lies right here in this church. What do you got? Well, I don't know. We're going to have to go out and do some surveying. They went out and they looked. It's time the church look at what we got in our desert. Search, look for those hidden oases, for those God moments. Even in your desert, when you don't feel him, when you don't sense him, when you don't even know he's around, when you've been there and you're parched, you're dry, you've been there a long, 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 long time. And all of a sudden, it says, they come back and they say, man, there's a little boy, he's got two sardines, and he's got five loaves of bread. Well, give them to me. And then Jesus blesses it, takes it in his hands, he blesses it and breaks it. And you know what? One of the, There's a powerful message there that I'd like to preach someday called in your desert, God's blessing and breaking at the same time. In your desert, he's blessing you and breaking you at the same time. He can't break you without the blessing or you couldn't endure it. And he can't bless you without breaking it because you'd only settle for the ice cream and not the spinach. You never grow. Everything that grows is in the valley experience. Not on the mountaintop. Don't believe me. Go out to the Rockies. I want to tell you, there's something phenomenal about the Rockies. You get up to a certain extent, nothing grows on high altitude. We always talk about the mountaintop experiences. They're wonderful. They're great. I like revivals, but you don't grow in them. You grow in the midst of your valley, in the midst of your desert. And when you get up above tree line, you get out of the snake line. There's snakes can't get up at high altitudes. You know what that means? There's no annoyance of the devil. We like to live in the place where there's no annoyance of the devil. But in your desert, there's plenty of scorpions. There's plenty of devils. There's plenty of principalities. And he says, give them to me. He blesses and breaks it. Sets the people down in companies of 50s, companies of 100s. And you know what one writer says? He sets them down in green grass. Green grass in a desert? There's your oasis again. The Lord is my shepherd and I shall not. He leadeth me beside the still. He leadeth me in green pastures for his name's sake. Even in your desert, he knows how to prepare a, he knows how to prepare a banquet meal even in the midst of your desert. Remember the children of Israel. Can God prepare a table in the wilderness? Well, good night, man. He brought in quail. He rained down manna. Is that not good enough? Can God prepare a table in the wilderness? God set them down and he fed them and they were all filled, the Bible says. And when they got up, there were 12 basket loads left. Fragments of 12 baskets. A city, a small city was getting turned upside down in Samaria, but 5,000 people were receiving from the miracle loaves of Jesus Christ in a desert. 5,000. And one writer said, not counting men and women, they think there were more like 12,000 people there. Think of what kind of masses you can touch by being a witness in the midst of your desert. But how, what, here's what, the witness we got. I'll tell you why everything's going wrong. We, we mope, we grope, we complain. You can tell when people sometimes going through a, a hard time, it, it just, it's all over them. Their countenance leaks. Oh, I'm in trouble. Come on, somebody. I'm fixing to close. I think. And so God does this great work in this desert and feeds them. And then I just have a, this ain't in scripture, but I just have an opinion. He said, give me those 12 baskets. And then he goes over to the boy that gave the two sardines and the two fish, uh, five loaves of bread and said, here boy, here's the fruit of what you gave. He come with two small fish and five loads, but he gets 12 basket loads to go back home with. Amen. God's a God of provision. And all of a sudden, the Bible says when, that, when you go back to Philip, everything's done. Philip gets the eunuch saved. 
Boom, he's transported. The Holy Spirit just snatches him up, takes him away. One writer said it was 90 miles away. He got beamed up, and it wasn't by Scotty on Star Trek. Amen? Boom, he's just gone. And when your desert is enough, God will beam you out of it. I want you to stand with me this morning. God will not allow you to suffer more than you're tempted. God will not allow you to be tempted more than you're able to bear, but will with the temptation make a way to escape that you might be able to bear it. I don't know who I'm talking to today, but we're fighting in a desert, dry, parched place. Some of us are. Some are on the mountaintop, and I thank God for it. Thank God all of us don't go through the desert at the same time because the mountaintop people can encourage us. Amen? But I'm here to tell you, don't fall apart in your desert. God's got your back. He knows where you're at. You're not there by chance. You're not there by coincidence. You're there by divine leading. And God is trying to take you off the sincere milk of the word and give you another, get you into the meat of the word. He's trying to let you mature and develop. He's trying to give you a piece of the nugget. He's trying to bring about the great awakening that he wants to bring, but it's got to be done in the middle of the affliction of the furnace of the heat of the desert. I want everybody that is feeling like that they're in that desert place. You know, you just, hey, it's nothing wrong. I'm in that desert place. I am admitting that's where I'm living at right now. And if you're in that place, you've been questioning, God, what in the world's going on? I want you to start searching for your oasis. I want you to come forward and just stand. Come on. Those of you that feel like you're in dry places. If you don't feel that, it's fine. You're on the mountaintop. You, that's wonderful. You're going to be used here in a moment. Look at this. One trial right after another, you think you get the victory only to wake up the next day and man, something else is happening. And man, it just, come here, brother. Come here. God says you shall live and not die. God says you're hurt and you're wounded and it's dark and it's deep. But he said, I'm going to bring inner healing like you've never seen before. And out of the chaos and the mess and the darkness, I'm going to do something mighty in your life. And I'm going to prove myself to be strong on your behalf. And though you're saddened and you're, and you're hurting on the inside, God says you're going to have an abundance of joy that is soon to come that will surpass anything that you've ever experienced or ever seen or ever felt before. And in the midst of your desert, you're going to grow mighty to be a tree of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, and you're always going to bear forth fruit. And in your season, you're going to blossom. And many people's going to be saved as a result of your testimony that God is going to awaken you and bring you to great glory. This saith the word of the Lord over your life. Now praise him for it. In the name of Jesus. Somebody hug him. He needs embraced. He needs some loving. Oh. Don't question your experience with the Lord where you're at. You're in dry places. Huh? God has sent you to hear a word in season to say, hey, Look for your oasis. I'm there. I've not left you. I've not forsaken you. I'm doing a greater work in you than what you can ever even imagine. I am bringing you forth into a, a place of plentiness. But in order to get there, I've got to teach you some things and I've got to instruct you. In some, I know you're hungry. I know you're miserable. I know you're fatigued. I have not led you here to destroy you, but I've led you here to create a hunger that's past anything that you ever done to where you'll let go of your own desire and the desire of my righteousness. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Amen. Now, those of you that's on the mountaintop, you're showing no expression of needing to come because right now you're flowing and everything's going good for you. I need you to gather around these people to bear one another's burdens, to love on them, to pray for them. They're in the heat of their moment. They need a brother or sister. They need a, a, someone to hold up their arms like Moses did. Come on, pray for them. Start praying for them. 
this is where the body gets interacted. Come on, Lindsay. Lindsay, baby, the Holy Spirit's saying, <laughs> you're about to see new things from the Lord, honey. New things. Come on, hon. Come on, honey. That's it. desert be very careful because there's also the experience of Mara in the desert where they had come out of Egypt they come to the place of Mara and the waters were bitter there and Moses instead of speaking to the rock he struck the rock a second time in other words he became angry and he became bitter in his desert don't become angry don't become bitter in your desert and when you come to that place instead of speaking to God out of anger and your request being sarcastic and your request being full of doubt and fear. Come before him in faith and speak to the rock. Don't be bitter. 
in your desert. Don't be bitter because of a lack of, of, of substance or a lack of whatever you desire. Because God wants to give you good water, not bitter water. Amen. Zach, where are you at? Come here, Zach. The Lord spoke to me this morning. And he told me to tell you this. That out of all of those people, 5,000, not counting women and children, 12,000 people there, out of all of the people that were there, he chose a lad, a youth, to bring about the awakening to that crowd of provision. And God says he's about to bring some an awakening in your midst. And we always talk about the youth being the future generation. They're very much a part of the generation now. And while we're looking for some Ziegler to come in and bring about an awakening. Awakening's gonna come right out of the loins of that youth group. A lad's gonna walk up and say, I don't have much, but what I have, I give it to God. And God's gonna take that little lad and he's gonna break it and he's gonna bless him. And as a result of his obedience, many shall come unto the Lord as a result of the lad. We don't despise our youth. They're very much anointed to carry in the house the presence and the glory of God. Amen. Be ready, almighty God. God's going to show you an oasis in the midst of your youth department. In Jesus' name. Folks, there's so much more to preach about this. Don't get bitter in your desert. Start speaking to yourself. Build yourself up. Look, search. You don't always find it the first week you seek it or the first month you seek it. I've been in a dry place for, but just keep seeking. Keep looking. I want to tell you this. You'll have experiences in the desert you won't have in Samaria. I guarantee you Philip would have never got to ride on a royal chariot in Samaria. There ain't nothing like riding in a queen's chariot. Amen. Get ready for some great experiences in your desert. God's about to bring us to an awakening. Don't know how, don't know when, but it's coming. Now I want the congregation, if you believe that, declare it, decree it, and give him praise for it in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. God bless you.